Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode eight of Frenemies. My name's Joel Asher. I've got Austin with me, my co-host, and we're excited. A lot to talk about in the NFL coming up. Austin, a lot having to do with your favorite team, the Los Angeles Rams. Yeah, so the Rams once again pulled off a blockbuster trade, which is like their seems like they pull off at least one every year at this point. Uh, but this one is massive. Jared Goff, their number one overall pick in 2016, is traded along with a third round pick in the upcoming 2021 draft, as well as first rounders in 2022 and 2023 for none other than Matthew Stafford. Stafford, of course, was the Lions quarterback for many, many years. Um, he brought a lot of stability to that team in their quarterback position, uh, even got them to a few playoff berths, ultimately has not won any playoff games, but a lot of that has to do with that the Lions are, well, the Lions. The Rams upgraded at quarterback, and Matthew Stafford is now on a contending franchise for the first time in his NFL career. I'm absolutely stoked. Yeah, it's really exciting. Matthew Stafford, I feel like for a lot of his career in the NFL has flown under the radar just for the simple fact that he is on a team like the Lions who in many instances seem to be cursed and just can't catch a break. And so he's been with Detroit his whole career, obviously, was drafted by them. And now one of the biggest what-ifs in the NFL is heading to a team where he can really prove his worth. He's shown what he can do with Detroit. He's an excellent quarterback. But now he is, like you said, on a team that is a real contender. Obviously, they beat the division champs in the divisional round of the playoffs, and or in the first round, I should say. So they're a good team who just needed that one extra step. They needed a quarterback as they dealt with injury problems and Goff just being inconsistent. They now have a major upgrade in Matthew Stafford, who has a cannon of an arm, laser point accuracy, and he can even throw it sidearmed and no look. You know, Mahomes isn't the first person to do that. Stafford has been doing that for quite some time. Pretty unreal throws, similar to his counterpart in the NFC North, Aaron Rodgers. So Matthew Stafford coming to a Rams team that already has weapons on offense. Cam Akers, an emerging running back, as well as excellent receivers in Robert Woods, Cooper Cup. It's it's going to be an interesting thing to see and exciting for a lot of Rams fans and just going to be interesting and intriguing the NFC West. A lot of people are now saying the Rams are the favorite to win that division next year after just one trade, which you don't say about most guys. But when it's Matthew Stafford, a lot of buzz, a lot of excitement. Yeah, I think a couple things to keep in mind here. First of all, you're absolutely right. Matthew Stafford is underrated. He's not necessarily like you mentioned Patrick Mahomes. Yes, he has some of that sort of arm strength. He's also on the wrong side of 30. He's 32, I believe. Uh, he's definitely not. I mean, he's not going to come out next year and be Patrick Mahomes. I don't think that's what anyone expects him to be. That said, he's playing for probably the most creative offensive mind he's ever played for in Sean McVay. Like you mentioned, he has a ton of uh, offensive talent around him, the likes of which he hasn't really had. He's had some good receivers in Kenny Galladay. Obviously, he had Megatron, Calvin Johnson for many, many years. It's not like he's never played around good players, especially on offense, but now he gets to join this really innovative scheme, really innovative playbook. We saw what it did to Kirk Cousins in Washington before McVay came over to the Rams. We saw how it kind of really got the most out of Jared Goff got him to the Pro Bowl a couple times, um, even as the wheels started falling off for Goff this year. The offense was still able to get the most out of Goff, especially in the playoffs. I think I was kind of surprised by how much um, they were still able to work there. But, uh, yeah, I think that uh, you hit the nail on the head in terms of he's 
the Rams obviously aren't the Lions. They There's more stability, but also um, he has a great running back in Cam Akers. He has uh, an excellent 1-2 receiver tandem in Woods and Cup. On the other side of the ball, I think, is where uh, Stafford hasn't had anything like this before. Aaron Donald, the best defensive player in the NFL. Jalen Ramsey, arguably the best quarterback in the NFL. I don't think anyone would really protest if I said he was a top three cornerback in the NFL. And not only do you have uh, Donald and Ramsey leading the way, but you have a defensive unit that was great on all levels. Third fewest rushing yards allowed, fewest passing yards allowed, fewest points allowed. They're coming off a season where they were statistically the best defense in the NFL on a broad range of metrics. We're talking about Brandon Staley, their defensive coordinator, who's now the Chargers head coach. But they are bringing in a veteran uh, assistant coach in Raheem Morris to oversee that unit. A lot of the same personnel should be returning. I don't think there are any major free agents on that side of the ball. So it's going to be really interesting to see kind of going forward uh, because this is definitely a team with an insane amount of talent. And I think it goes to show, like, you look at now the top players on the Rams. Donald was drafted. Woods was signed and the re-signed. They traded two first-rounders for Ramsey. They've now traded two first-rounders for Stafford. A lot of these guys are free agent or trade pickups on both sides of the ball. You don't necessarily see a team kind of astroturf that much in the NFL where they're being very aggressive in trades, very aggressive in free agency to really kind of build a nucleus that way, as opposed to, uh, I think you see it more in other sports like uh, basketball and baseball. And hey, guess what? Los Angeles is home to the defending NBA champion Lakers. It's home to the defending World Series champion Dodgers. It's home to, you know, in the Lakers case, a franchise that went out and signed LeBron James, went out and traded for Anthony Davis. The Dodgers case, they brought in Yu Darvish and made the World Series in the midseason trade. They brought in Manny Machado in a midseason trade and made the World Series. And then they brought over Mookie Betts in a blockbuster trade and won the World Series. So the Rams are not necessarily acting like a quote-unquote traditional NFL team, but they're acting like an L.A. sports team. They know they need to compete in this market. They know they need to bring eyeballs. And as good as their season was last year, they know their championship window is now, and they are not hesitating at all to capitalize on it, which if you're a Rams fan or even if you're just an interested L.A. sports fan, that should be music to your ears. Yeah, I as you mentioned, yeah, they're in. I, I said I said to one of my friends when talking about the trade, I said they're in a win now type of yep. mode, and I think they made that statement very clear by trading away so many of those future first round picks and getting a guy who's going to come in right now and upgrade the offense in Matthew Stafford. It seems like the Rams. A lot of people were joking on Twitter about the Rams hate first round picks. Austin, you <laughs> want to tell us a little bit about? As you mentioned, Goff was a first round pick. Uh, they haven't had any since, and they won't till twenty twenty four. You want to talk a little bit about the lack of first-round picks and how you see that maybe affecting the team? Yeah, that's right. So I think a key thing to keep in mind here is, like you said, their championship window is right now. This is like this is their competition window. They have so much veteran talent on the team that it's hard to see a first-rounder that would be a good fit for them in the sense of, yeah, maybe a good linebacker at the end of the first round or something. Like There's definitely some scenarios I could see where like a first-round pick, well, first of all, they don't even have a – 
their first round pick this year. They already did it because that was that belongs to the Jaguars as a result of the Jalen Ramsey trade. But the way Les Snead and Sean McVay have approached building a roster is they haven't even had a first round pick in McVay's tenure. They'd rather bring in veteran talent and then augment that veteran talent with solid mid-round picks. Cam Akers was a second-round pick. Cooper Cup was a third-round pick. So they've shown the ability to find value in the mid to late rounds. And I think that when you can bring in guys like a Matthew Stafford, like a Jalen Ramsey, and then bank on your ability to find that value, I don't see any reason why that can't be a winning formula. Right, yeah. It's, it should be a winning formula for their window right now, you got to think. Yeah, absolutely. But it is ironic to look back and realize that their last two first-round picks were Todd Gurley in 2015 and Jared Goff in 2016. Those two guys were kind of the nucleus. Those were like the faces of the franchise, especially in the first few years after they moved to L.A. And they even made a Super Bowl together. Now they're both gone. In the years since Jared Goff got picked with the first overall pick in 2016, the Rams gave up their 2017 first rounder to the Titans for Goff. 2018, they traded it to the Patriots for Brandon Cooks, who's also gone now. Uh, 2019 was the year they actually had their pick going into draft day and then traded down with the Falcons. 2020 and 2021, those picks went to Jacksonville for Jalen Ramsey. And now 2022 and 2023, those picks uh, are going to Detroit for Matthew Stafford. So the soonest Sean McVay will have a first-round pick in his tenure with the Rams, remember, like I said, he's never had one as the Rams head coach, would be 2024. And by then, maybe the Rams are heading into a whole rebuilding phase, and who knows if McVay might even be the coach there anymore. I mean, as successful as he has been, you know, I mean, we've seen how fickle uh, NFL coaching tenures can be. So who really knows? Obviously, we're looking way into the future, but it's kind of crazy to realize that McVay and Snead have a very, very deliberate strategy. And that strategy involves really not valuing first round picks uh, in their roster building mechanism as much as you might think. Yeah, and I think that shows a lot of trust just in their process with that. As you mentioned, some of the diamonds in the rough they've been able to pick up in the later rounds. I think that shows a lot of trust in the general manager and and the input, obviously, that McVay has, that they can find the guys that they need. Obviously, they have the superstars. They have the players at those main positions, but the ability to go out and find players who are underrated in the second, third, fourth round, and later on, who they can plug in and use in in certain spots, um, which they've been able to do very well, I think says a lot. Uh, Most teams struggle with that a lot of teams will draft in the first round and the guy will end up being a bust meanwhile I mean a lot of people talk about the most notable one in recent years is the Bears they traded up to take Mitchell Trubisky when Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes were just sitting there some teams even have bad luck in the first round so the ability of the Rams to not have those first round picks go out in the second third and fourth round and draft players who are making an impact on their team now I think is very impressive and something that teams around the NFL envy in their draft pick choices. Yeah, and look, it's not like the Rams' way is the only way to build a contender. I mean, in that same draft, the Chiefs traded up to get Mahomes in 2017, uh, as you were mentioning. So there's different ways. I just think that the Rams' way has a really high chance of working out. And even if it doesn't, I mean, that team next year is going to be entertaining as all heck. You have Matthew Stafford, 
going from Detroit to L.A., playing in the most innovative offensive scheme he's ever played in. You have Donald still in the prime of his career. You have Ramsey still in the prime of his career. You just have a team loaded down with superstars. And especially as, you know, knock on wood, we start seeing some fans at SoFi Stadium and stuff and starting to see some more energy around uh, the Rams. Not that there wasn't this past year, but it was hard to kind of really viscerally see that, of course, with social distancing and everything, those empty stadiums. Um, I think that this could be a very, very, very entertaining season, uh, as we've seen a lot of entertaining seasons with uh, the Sean McVay or Rams. Yeah, he's an offensive mastermind. I think he schemes up all kinds of things. I think he maybe even made Jared Goff look a little bit better than possibly it was at certain moments. So seeing Matthew Stafford come in, a guy who has never had a coordinator like this, never had a coach like this, it's going to be entertaining to watch and Last note on that, I thought it was funny when Matthew Stafford declared that he was going to be traded. He's a free agent. I read a report. He said to the Lions, you can trade me anywhere except for the New England Patriots. So I think that's really an interesting thing that the New England Patriots are kind of trending down as a franchise after so many years of excellence. Tom Brady's gone now, and not that many people want to play there, it seems. Honestly, that makes me even more of a Matthew Stafford fan. Don't give Belichick any love. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Matthew Stafford, welcome to L.A. Uh, I heard uh, you have an old friend in the area who uh, I know you can bunk with until you find a place. A guy by the name of Clayton. Oh, yeah. Which, by the way, there's so many, like, I feel like everyone kind of already knew that fun fact. And now that they're both playing in the same city, it's just going to be done to death. Like, we've already gone past the did you know and already by the kind of facetious, like, hey, guess what? They grew up together and played together in high school. But it'll be cool to see, you know, I'm guessing they'll be able to do some cross-promotional stuff with that. So that'll that'll be cool to see. Yeah, and and living in L.A., I'm out in Colorado, but Austin, you in L.A., maybe, you know, maybe you'll even bump into the two old friends having having somewhere in Los Angeles, you know? It's something you think you'd never see before with Matthew Stafford in Detroit. But yeah, him and and his buddy Clayton Kershaw, two of the best players in their respective sports, uh, should be exciting for... LA fans at least. Hey, outdoor dining's back open in LA, so you know, you never know. <laughs> exactly. All right. Um moving on, the Chargers have made some interesting coordinator hires. Joel, you want to take us through those? Yeah, so we were talking on the last podcast about kind of possibilities for the Chargers. Obviously, Brandon Staley, a former defensive coordinator, is now the head coach needing to hire a position coach now for defensive coordinator and they've they've found their man in Ronaldo Hill, the defensive backs coach. For the last few years for the Denver Broncos working under Vic Fangio. You know, I like the hire. The Broncos have been a bit undermanned defensively for the past few years. And, well, their offense is another thing to talk about. But defensively side of the ball, I mean, he used to have players like Chris Harris who are now on the Chargers. I'm sure he's excited to work with his former coach again. And I think that he got that Broncos defense to play a lot better than you'd think they would on paper. Um, kind of an under-the-radar hire, not someone who a lot of people were talking about um, as an excellent defensive coordinator or anything. Obviously, he's never been a defensive coordinator. He was a defensive backs coach. But I think with him and Brandon Staley working together, it could be a really good fit, as I've seen a lot of the Broncos the past few years as the Chargers play him twice every year. And I think he's gotten really good production out of that defense and out of those defensive backs especially. So I'm excited in a new era, really. All new coordinators, a new head coach. Um, mostly the same players though so I'm excited to see what this new coaching can do to turn that talent into wins yeah it's gonna be interesting it's funny we were just talking about the Lions Joe Lombardi your new coordinator was a coordinator for Detroit back in the day 
In between the time he uh, was in Detroit and now in the Chargers, however, he was with the Saints. And if there's one person to kind of hone your craft under that you'd want, it's a guy like Sean Payton, who has been for years one of the brightest offensive minds in the game. You know, right up there with Andy Reid and now Sean McVay. Uh, so bringing kind of a Sean Payton disciple in on offense and then a Vic Fangio disciple in on defense, like you mentioned, um, the Broncos defense has had a lot of success there uh, in Fangio's time as the head coach in Denver. Even before then, he's been really successful in other stops, particularly in Chicago uh, when they had that great year. And I remember uh, when the Rams played them, they just gave the Rams fits. So yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see. Um, obviously, kind of the Vic Fangio coaching tree with now Brandon Staley, who was also a Vic Fangio acolyte and a Denver assistant before coming over to the Rams, is now a head coach and bringing over another another guy from that same coaching tree to helm the defense. So yeah, it'll be really interesting. Can't wait to see what they do with uh, guys like uh, Joey Bosa and Chris Harris. Derwin James as well, knock on wood. He's coming back, so... Yeah, hopefully he's healthy. Yeah, Ronaldo Hill, he's a good he's a good hire that I think a lot of people were were a bit surprised by as well as the Staley hires we talked about. Lombardi a little less of a shock, but yeah, excited to see what Lombardi can do. Sean Payton and him have created an amazing thing down in New Orleans, so I'm excited to see what he can do as he comes over as the new offensive coordinator. So welcome to both Ronaldo Hill and Joe Lombardi to the Chargers under new head coach Brandon Staley. Going to be going to be some exciting football played in SoFi Stadium by both teams this next coming up year, Austin. Going to be definitely interesting, uh, new looks for both franchises. Fun fact about Lombardi, I'm sure you know, that that name isn't a coincidence. He is Vince Lombardi's grandson. Ultimately, the goal is the trophy named after his grandpa, so, so we'll see. But that is a cool cool little family ties there. Yeah, what extra motivation do you need, you know? His obviously yeah, exactly. championship pedigree and his grandfather, and so we'll see if he can get that first Lombardi with the offense behind the arm of Justin Herbert. I may be wishful thinking, but you know, hey, down the line we can we can build. Maybe not immediately, but I think a bright future for both the Rams and the Chargers. So we'll see what happens, and hopefully, fingers crossed, maybe Austin, we can catch a game at SoFi Stadium next year. We'll see. Moving on to the present now, obviously both our speaking teams. Speaking of prime time. <laughs> yeah, speaking of prime time, there's nothing more prime time than the game coming up a week from today, next Sunday, which is the Super Bowl between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the first team to ever host a Super Bowl in their home stadium. And uh, a pretty good pretty good player's coming in to take them on in Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. What, what are you looking to see in this championship game, Austin? You know, I've bet against Tom Brady so many times. I'm terrified to do it again. I really am. Even just what he's done in his first season in Tampa. I mean transformed the entire culture of that place 11 and 5 record brought along all these talented players on offense and on defense brought over some veterans on defense brought over Gronk to help him on offense the way he's kind of taken a leadership mantle in this really mediocre kind of backwater franchise and got them to the Super Bowl hosting the Super Bowl in his first year there is incredible I'm terrified of betting against him. I picked against him uh, in the championship round. I thought Rodgers was going to win in Lambeau. I was mistaken. It's really, really hard for me to bet against him again. That said, I just don't see how the Chiefs lose this game. And here's why. They're going, like This is going to be a close game. 
I just don't see how the Buccaneers can get the stops that they got against the Packers last week against the Chiefs next week, if that makes sense. There were a lot of little things that had to go right, particularly when the Packers had the ball, uh, to keep the Bucks ahead in that game. Even late in the game, we saw um, you know, Rodgers opt to throw, uh, force a pass towards the end zone instead of scrambling and maybe had a chance to run in for a touchdown. We saw uh, a couple huge three and outs. We saw even the mind-boggling decision by Matt LaFleur to kick a field goal there. Uh, when they still needed a touchdown to get themselves back in the lead. If that situation played out in Bucks chiefs there is no way Andy Reid is kicking that field goal. That's basically what I'm saying in a nutshell, is Andy Reid is going to take risks. He, we saw it in the Browns game on that fourth and one with uh, Chad Henney in there. He's going to take risks. He has the, right now, the most talented player in the NFL. Brady's still the GOAT, but Mahomes can do so many things with the football that just no one else can. For all the success that the Bucks had, especially on their defensive front last week against Rodgers, now you're giving Andy Reid two weeks to prepare for that. And you're giving Pat Mahomes two weeks to prepare for that. There are so many ways, especially in the short passing game and the running game and all the different schemes, all the different fakes they do, all the different play designs. I just think it'll be too much for the Bucks defense to handle. And ultimately, the Chiefs scoring at the pace that they will whenever they can get together. It might take some time. We saw it last Super Bowl where they struggled at first before really hitting their stride. But once they hit their stride, and they will at some point this game, it's going to be too much and not even the great Tom Brady will be able to keep up. So my prediction is I'm going to say Chiefs 34, Bucks 28. You know, Austin, I want to agree with you, but I, I, like you said, I have trouble picking against Tom Brady. And, you know, I'm not going to this week. I'm going to pick the Buccaneers. And I think you bring up a lot of valid points that Chiefs offense is excellent. But the way that Todd Bowles has been able to scheme teams, as you saw him do against the Saints, a great offense. As you saw him do against the Packers, a great offense. You know, I'm betting on him that he can do it just one more time with Tom Brady backing him up on offense. I was watching a video on a lot of schemes that Todd Bowles ran with fake pressures and everything against Rodgers, and he really he really kind of flustered that Packers offense, who we hadn't really seen flustered all season long. So I think the defense is definitely going to be the key in this game, and the pass defense is something I think that has really been galvanized kind of recently here in the playoffs. They were a little bit suspect for Tampa Bay in the regular season, but the pass defense has really come. Obviously, this is the greatest challenge that any of them will really ever face. The Chiefs have so many ways to beat you, whether it's whether it's obviously the the big names, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, but then you got guys you got guys like Mecole Hardman and you got I mean they still they have Le'Veon Bell on the team. They also have Williams back from injury. I mean, a lot of threats to stop. But I think if anyone can do it, I think it's the Bucks defense. And then we can't forget about the guy on the other side of the ball for Tampa Bay, Tom Brady He's playing in his 10th Super Bowl, which is just unbelievable. I saw a crazy stat that said Tom Brady, percentage-wise, he's most li- he's more likely to reach the Super Bowl than, it was a very obscure stat, he's more likely to reach the Super Bowl than Aaron Rodgers is to complete a pass on third down. Wow. Think about that. That's insane. That, it's just, that's insane. Yeah. 
He's playing in his 10th Super Bowl now. He's won six of the nine he's previously appeared in. It's absurd. And all the guy does is win. All the guy does is win. You just, you thought this year, you know, maybe the Bucks would make a run in the playoffs. I don't know that anyone expected them after kind of seeing how the regular season played out. I don't think anyone really expected them to go into New Orleans after they had gotten pounded in their last game against them. They go into New Orleans and Twice. Win. They lost twice in New Orleans. Two times they lose in the regular season. They don't win the division. They're a wild card team. Their toughest challenge and closest game, maybe, was in the first round against Taylor Heineke against the Washington football team. I mean, they have looked excellent against Drew Brees. That defense played incredible. And then... A close game at Lambeau with fans. Brady had fans in his ear for the first time really all year. Lambeau was loud, and it seemed like there were more than the 9,000 that were estimated to be at Lambeau. But he's a playoff vet. He got the he got the job done. Biggest play, I think, was that pass to Scotty Miller. I don't know what the Packers defense was doing there with about two seconds yeah. left in the half. And Tom Brady is just, yet again, I, I don't know why I'm surprised, but... <laughs> I didn't think they were going to do this, but Tom Brady has taken his team to the Super Bowl in his first year in the NFC. He's now won the same amount of NFC championships as Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees, two surefire Hall of Famers. I think that's just, that's insane that he can just come in and revolutionize a team like that. So I do think it's going to be a tough challenge, but I think that Tom Brady is going to be as motivated as ever, and I'm going to take... Going to take the Tampa Bay Buccaneers by a score of 28-24. to 24. I could see the Bucs pointed out, absolutely. But again, I just look at kind of the Chiefs and how good their offense is, how good their offense has been all year, even dating back to last year. I just can't bet against them. I love what people like Mike Greenberg have been saying about this matchup or Dan Olofsky, where it's basically, it's like watching Jordan versus LeBron in the finals. It's literally the best quarterback matchup probably ever you have one guy who has established himself as the goat in this sport and you have another guy who looks like he could challenge that title eventually at some point especially with a win on Sunday so it's it's going to be very 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 fun to watch I cannot wait to enjoy it less fun to watch was another primetime event last night when the we're recording this on Sunday night so Saturday night the Lakers played the Celtics in Boston, and Joel. The Lakers and Celtics are two favorite teams of such an incredible storied rivalry. There are so many great classic games between them. I don't think this is going to be considered one of them. (laughs) It was so ugly. Yeah, definitely not one of them. The score would indicate that it maybe was a classic showdown, and it was intriguing to watch as it came down to the end there, as it was a one-point victory for the Lakers by a score 96-95, but Really a lot left to be desired coming out of that game is neither team, I think, played their best at all. Missing wide open looks, some pretty sloppy stretches from both teams of turnovers, and you saw teams go on runs where the other team wouldn't score points. So definitely not one of those classics, um, kind of a grinded out type of game where you kind of just got to grit through it to the end. And the Lakers were able to come out on top. Obviously, I was disappointed, but yeah, not, not one of those classic showdowns, but I, I liked what I saw from Jason Tatum coming back off the COVID list. Obviously, he's been out for a while, and he's kind of starting to hit his groove again. And it was it was an ugly game, to say the least. Not the most fun to watch from a basketball skill standpoint. <laughs> it was really tough. It was very disappointing to see, especially how bad Anthony Davis was. Because, look, 
this team is built around around LeBron James, and LeBron has been so good. But part of LeBron being amazing and being an MVP contender, even at age thirty six, which is incredible and should be celebrated and praised and all that stuff. But you're supposed to have Anthony Davis there as kind of the second star, the 1B to LeBron's 1A. Davis looked horrible. He's supposed to be one of the best defensive players in the league. He was almost defensive player of the year last year. I still think he should have won it over Giannis. That's another story. I was going back. I didn't get a chance to watch too much of this game. I was helping my brother move into his apartment. But I did get a chance to re-watch a lot of it and uh, go over some highlights as well. And oh my gosh, Davis looked completely disengaged on offense. Celtics players, especially because the Celtics run, they have those young, fast wings and Brown and Tatum. Smart's a little older, but you get the idea. They were just blowing by him. And that shouldn't happen for Anthony Davis. What makes Anthony Davis so good is he's got guard-like speed and guard-like skills in a big man's body. I just, I was so disappointed by his performance, especially on the defensive end. Offensively, was around like 11 of 25 shooting, if I'm not mistaken. And so, yeah, it's it, it wasn't ideal. Um, and, you know, quite frankly, like, yes, the Lakers won the game. I'm thrilled. I'm thankful. I got a chance to, you know, I get a chance to talk smack against the Celtics. I will never... Take that for granted, especially after how bad the Lakers were uh, the past several years. But, I mean, the Lakers got so lucky that Celtics had a great look from Kemba Walker and then had a chance for that Daniel Tice putback. The Celtics only had those shots created for them because Anthony Davis coughed up the ball. So I'm very, very disappointed in Anthony Davis's uh, performance. I will say the Lakers got some nice efforts from uh, Dennis Schroeder and Montrezl Harrell, especially. This is the type of game that they excel at. It was fast. It was physical. Um, Trez was able to make some noise on defense, which is something that isn't necessarily a strong suit. So that was very nice to see. So there's a lot of positives to take away from the Lakers here. But ultimately, Anthony Davis hasn't looked himself for a while now. And I really hope he can start turning stuff around after this game. Because... If he's still playing like this as we get closer to the playoffs, I'm gonna start really freaking out. Yeah, and like you said, though it is it, we're not we're not too close to the playoffs, but it is it is a bit of concern sure. the way Anthony Davis did play. And yeah, on my end, I I am a bit disappointed. I felt like the Celtics had a lot of moments where they could have pulled away in that game, or even at the end, like you said, that put back. Tice Tice has got to make that. Those are shots that Kimba he he makes those types of step back shots often. So. Pretty pretty disappointing to come out of that one with a loss. The way we were able to score offensively in some stretches, but just went cold in other stretches. So um, no no really long-term concerns for the Celtics. Um, Marcus Smart suffered an injury and is going to be out two to three weeks, which is a blow for just the energy of the team, definitely. But I like the way Tatum and Brown are playing, and everyone has those nights. Both teams did not bring their A game, I would say, and that happens every once in a while, and that just happened at TD Garden. So a tough, tough loss for the Celtics to take, but I think stuff they can build forward on. And I think both teams are set up fine for the future. Anthony Davis, I'm sure he'll turn it around. He's an excellent player. And as long as Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown continue to play like they've been playing, I think the Celtics will be just fine. Yeah. I mean, look, the Celtics, they have had their struggles. I think 
when people have evaluated them, I think you really have to take into account the long layoff from Jason Tatum. Um, I think you're also going to want to allow some time for him to ramp back up after COVID. So I'm not necessarily, I do think they will still end up as a contender. Uh, it is going to be really interesting to see. I'm still not a hundred percent sold on the nets, but now you have this three headed monster in Brooklyn. You also have the Sixers looking really good. I think it's going to be a lot harder for the Celtics to make the finals this year than it was last year in the bubble. So again, we'll see. Uh, and I do expect the Celtics to be in the mix, but it's going to really, I, I don't know. It's, I, I can put them in the top tier of the East, but I'm not sure I can say like, oh yeah, that team's beating Philly. Oh yeah, that team's beating Brooklyn for sure. I'm just not at that point right now. Yeah, and it, even being candid as a fan, I'm I'm not at that point either. Um, I haven't seen what I need to see to be confident in that. We lost to the 76ers already this season, and so 76ers are definitely looking like a really good team. Joel Embiid is putting up, I would, I would argue even as much as I dislike the guy, he's putting up MVP-type numbers so far this season. It remains to be seen whether he can keep it up. But he's definitely in the conversation. So the Sixers obviously are looking good, like you said. And yeah, that big three of Harden, Irving, and Durant up in Brooklyn are going to be something. And, well, you didn't mention the Bucks. They're looking like, I mean, they're a top team in the East as well. They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna be a team that Celtics most likely will have to play possibly to get through. So it's, it is going to be hard. The bubble was a much different scenario where we were able to get to the conference finals. The Heat, who <laughs> were in the NBA finals looking... Nothing like that team that we saw in the bubble at all. They're, they're, they have one of the worst records in the East right now. So a lot of things have changed in the East, and the Celtics um, haven't changed a lot of personnel, but we'll see what happens with that as we, as we head down the stretch. But, yeah, I have not, I have not been convinced quite, quite so far. But uh, as you mentioned, Tatum was out for a while. Kimball Walker is recently back and has yet to kind of hit his full stride. So when they do, I think we'll definitely be one of those contenders in the East. But remains to be seen when they'll hit that stride and hopefully they do before the playoffs and into the playoffs yeah I will say it's definitely uh interesting to see because the Nets obviously they they have the most offensive talent of anyone in the NBA that's not up for debate my problem is their defense has not looked good and I could like as much as the Harden Irving Durant combo is scary they do look kind of beatable. Again, a long time for the playoffs. But if I was to say as of right now, whether I'd be more scared of playing the Sixers or the Nets, I'd say the Sixers. You mentioned Embiid. He can do that on the defensive end as well. Tobias Harris is playing really well. Ben Simmons is still Ben Simmons. He's a great defender as well. They finally have some shooting. Uh, Danny Green may have figured out how to actually get the ball to go in the basket sometimes. <laughs> so uh, I, I don't know where that was in L.A., but uh, he seems to have rediscovered it. Seth Curry has one of the highest three-point shooting percentages in uh, the league. But yeah, no, it's it's going to be really interesting to see because I think the Sixers, obviously Doc Rivers in there now, uh, I, I really do think they're legit. And I'm also, granted, the Lakers just lost to the Sixers a few nights ago, and that's still fresh in my mind. But it does seem like they have a legitimate title-contending team. The Bucks are still the Bucks. 
And as much as, you know, we talked about the Celtics, as much as I get the hype around the Nets, obviously, it's really hard for me to say, to say like, oh yeah, they're for sure the favorites. They're the team to beat. I just, am I crazy, Joe? Or I just, I, I just can't get to that point right now. There's a lot of time. Maybe they'll gel more, especially on the defensive end. But it's like, I, I'm not sure that they are the ultimate heavy favorites out of the East. Yeah, I I know a lot of people are saying that they are the favorites. I actually agree with you, Austin. I I know it's early. I know Harden hasn't been there in a long time, but that defense is a concern and something I did look at in that trade. They don't really have a big. Jared Allen's gone now, yeah. and I think that that has really reared its ugly head on the defensive end of the ball. They don't have that big rim protector really. And so DeAndre that's... Jordan, they have DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre Jordan's past his prime. DeAndre Jordan is on that team. Because he became good friends with Durant and Irving on Team USA in 2016. Right. That's why he's on that team. He's not on that team. He he hasn't been DeAndre Jordan like since even before he left the Clippers. Since like you know since like Lob City. You're not right. getting Lob City DeAndre Jordan. The best center they had on that team was Jared Allen, and I get why you trade him for a guy like James Harden. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Now they um, are lacking a lot of depth. Yeah, it's, it's shown in the defensive end of the ball for sure. So it'll be interesting to see whether that offense, they have had explosive performances. Obviously, Harden had a triple-double in his first game there, and the chemistry will continue to develop. But yeah, on the defensive side of the ball, uh, they're going to need they're gonna need to improve if they're going to beat teams like the Sixers and the Bucks. So I, I tend to agree with you, Austin. I don't think that right now they should be declared the heavy favorite, if not if not even the favorite in the East. Um but obviously, as we've mentioned several times, it's early, and we'll see if that defense can improve and that offense continues to gel to where they'll, they're that offense that everyone kind of expects them to be where, hey, it don't matter, you can score 140 on us, but we're going to score 155. We're, gonna, we're just going to be lights out. So we'll see if they blossom into that, but definitely a competitive East and will be exciting. If there's any team where you can actually say that and say that, that that'll be enough for them, who is it, Joel? It's it's going to be these Nets with three of the best scores ever. So, yeah, we'll have to see. It's going to be really interesting to watch. That's it from us. Follow us at Frenemies Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow me at Austin Green forty four on Twitter and at Austin M Green on Instagram. Joel, you can follow at the Joel Asher on Twitter and Instagram. And we will see you next week. Yeah, I just want to leave you guys with one funny tweet as we exit the oh, show yeah, 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 yeah. from no, Annie no, Agar. You got to get your tweet in here. Here, let's go. Right, I got a funny tweet from Annie Agar who does a lot of funny Zoom call, NFL, college football type stuff on TikTok, but she tweeted out, things I've discovered on the first Sunday afternoon without football. Turns out I don't live alone. These strange people are my family, and that's where all the food has been coming from. They seem friendly. Updates to follow. So... <laughs> Seems to have met her family, so I, I thought that was really funny as we look forward to the Super Bowl, but this was the first Sunday in a while without football of some type, so looking forward to the Super Bowl next weekend. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we will see you next time. <laughs>